Episode G, The Evolution of Board Game Mechanics. Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Buffalo, New York. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this podcast is about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I give an explanation of how to play a game, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we were about to play the game together. This podcast is intended for use in learning about a game you may not know much about, learning how to play a game by yourself, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. If you like the show, join and participate in our guild at BoardGameGeek. For more information about all the How to Play podcast episodes, the corresponding teaching guides, and the discussion forums, refer to the How to Play Geek list, for which you can find a link there at the guild. You can also check out our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com where you can support the show with a PayPal donation, and I can be contacted at the Guild on BoardGameGeek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hi everyone, this is your host, Ryan Sturm, and welcome to a very special edition of How to Play. In this episode, I was able to have the opportunity to chat with Jeff Engelstein. And because episode 24 was all about dominant species, which is all about evolution, I thought the evolution of board game mechanics would be an interesting topic. I originally slated 10 to 15 minutes for this interview, but but it seems like we had a lot to say about the topic. So instead of just including it in the dominant species episode, I'm presenting it here as its own special episode, episode G. So without further ado, here's the interview now. All right, it's time for today's musing segment, and today I'm very excited because I don't have to just sit here and talk to myself. I have a very special guest star who's agreed to join me here on the podcast, and that's Jeff Engelstein. You probably know Jeff from his segments over at the Dice Tower at, uh, with Game Tech, and also from his upcoming game, The Ares Project, that's much anticipated coming out from Z-Man Games. Welcome, Jeff, and thanks for uh, agreeing to come on the show. I really appreciate the invitation, right? So we're talking about dominant species today, and dominant species has a thematic focus of evolution, and coincidentally, it really shows an evolution in board game design. It really shows how far we've come with board game mechanics over the last 10 years. So I, I just thought maybe we'd talk about sort of the evolution of board game mechanics and and how we've seen the, these changes and, and getting more complex over the last few years. Does that sound like a good topic, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. Great. So first of all, we can talk about dominant species. You know, dominant species is obviously a worker placement game. Um, it sort of came from we had the big boom of worker placement and with Kalis in 2005. And this is this is one of my favorite genres of games. And what's interesting is, you know, it's a, in a real short time period, worker placement was sort of created and just manipulated and changed in, in numerous different incarnations from Stone Age to Lahav to Agricola to Carson City and now dominant species. As you said, you can see the kind of the evolution from Kalis. I think certainly the immediate predecessor, predecessor would have to be uh, the Age of Empires III from uh, Glenn Drover back in 2007. I mean, just in terms of the way the board is laid out, uh, the mechanics of, you know, placing the workers on different actions and having a different number of spots for each action. It's obviously, uh, you know, very reminiscent of that system. Um, but it also pulls a lot in from uh, a game, which I don't know if you're familiar with, called uh, Tyranno X. No, I haven't, I haven't played that one. 
Yeah, that's an old. Uh, it was published by Avalon Hill way back in the day, but it's it's actually for Carl Heinschmiel who did Demacher, um, which was a game about dinosaurs. And in that game, you were manipulating the environment to try to make it the best for your creatures. You got cards representing creatures, and it told you what environments the creatures like to live in. Mm -hmm. And you would manipulate these little environment disks, which are completely reminiscent of the disk to the point where even some of the images are very similar. The little skulls and and, um, the little bugs and suns and things like that are really pulled from Tyranno X. So it was interesting to me to kind of see that aspect of the mechanic pulled in. And even Tyranno X traces all the way back to, uh, to Quirks, which is a game from the guys from Eon back in uh, 1980, uh, who did, of course, Cosmic Encounter and Dune and some of the other real, real seminal games. So uh, in Quirks, you are also creating creatures and you don't manipulate the environment in that when the environment is just gradually changing, but you're trying to, you know, m- build creatures that, that will best match the environment and bring it forward. So to me, it's always interesting to see just from a ludological historical perspective of, of how all these different kinds of mechanics all all pull together. Yeah, I, I always en- enjoy that the transformation that you see from you know one year to the next. And it, it just seems like it took, it's interesting to hear you describe that game. That's a game that I've never played. And it's just the idea of manipulating the environment to match your player. It seems like that, that developed from Tyranno Rex. Is that the name of the game? Tyranno EX. Tyranno X. Yes. Okay. So Tyranno X and and the other big piece was um, that Age of Empires, the worker placement box, the big box is almost basically lifted off of the Age of Empires map and put it onto the dominant species map, but completely changed all of the different actions and just combine those two systems to, to make this really great game. What do you think yeah. about the, let, let's get your opinion on dominant species while we're, we're talking about dominant species. Uh, well, I, I've only played it one time, so mm-hmm. I'm coming to it with a, with a, a, a bit of a limited perspective. I know that uh, you say every we should play every game ten times. Of course, a hundred. And I did enjoy the game, and I certainly would want to play it again. Um, I mean, the one reservation that I have, which I see a lot of people are, are bringing up when I read the reviews, is it's kind of presenting itself as a real, you know, heavy Euro-y kind of a game with the, with the duration of the game being three to four hours. Um, and just the types of actions that you can take it, it's, it's kind of presents itself in these very strategic clothes. And yet I found that the, with the cards, uh, that you can get, uh, the, the dominance cards and even some of the extinction mechanics that, that, things can get pretty radical and crazy and there, there can be a lot of chaos that comes in and, and some of those cards, depending on certain situations, you know, the, getting the card or not getting the card can make a huge difference, you know, and almost, you know, maybe not lock in the wind, but but certainly become a big focus and, and seem to me to kind of work against um, the the larger idea that this was a, a, a you know, a more of a uh, you know, a, a tighter strategic game like a Democker or something like that, which is the same kind of duration um, right. where it builds more gradually. So that was the only real question mark that I had that I wanted to see. And obviously, all of us were coming to it new. So maybe if all of the players have a better idea of what they're doing, then you'll play to mitigate the effects of the different um, of the different dominance cards. So so that that will remain to be seen. 
Okay. Well, yeah, one thing I, I talked to you earlier about is it sort of has that El Grande feel that if, if someone is really getting out there ahead, those cards really have powerful effects that someone can just come in and smash them. Or um, the person who is in last definitely has the ability to come in and, and play Kingmaker and, and decide who wins. So there are some of those elements going on. It, but those are some things that I personally don't don't mind that much. I feel that, you know, it's sort of part of the experience. You have to take it with a grain of salt, but it sounds like you're saying but the amount of time you invest in the game you don't want to see sort of random elements impact severely the uh, result of the game yeah but i mean when i look back on it i mean i got absolutely slammed the first turn when i played i, I right. lost a ton of guys and yet i did was able to come back to win by monopolizing the little arctic uh, tundra spaces there you go uh, so so you know the, it it does you know keep everybody in the game as you say for for the duration right well, let's get back to our topic of, of evolution of game mechanics. Uh, can you talk about another major mechanic that we've seen change uh, over the last few years? You know, certainly, um, you know, just looking at Dominion, which is what, two years old now. Yeah, it's like 2008. <laughs> I was just looking at that over the last two years. How many how many yeah. different incarnations have we had of that sort of system? Right. So, I mean, you know, I, I probably couldn't even name them all. But between, uh, you know, first you had uh, Thunderstone and... Uh, you know the uh, ascension game and um you know there's just just game after game after game now that's that's pulling that mechanic in you know it's kind of the same thing with the worker placement or or uh, you know any of these other kind of major mechanics is is somebody kind of pokes their their foot in the door there right and and then everybody moves in and kind of you know colonizes the territory and and just mashes it up with different things you know what if we take this and put it in a science fiction game or what if yeah. we take this and you know put it in a dungeon crawler or things like that so it it's interesting with dominion too it seems like the the more thematic side of game designers have sort of grasped hold of that and and not as much sort of the straight euro sort of strategic numbers type game we haven't seen we haven't seen more of a uh, more of an abstract sort of euro heavy uh deck building game they most mostly been thematic driven well i think dominion was kind of because dominion itself was kind of abstract right. i think that people looked you know some of the people that saw uh, you know the deficiency in dominion was perhaps its lack of theme sure uh, even though we 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 all over here love the game but you know so i can see somebody coming to it and say well you know let's take that and it really was just of a lot of games, when you talk about new mechanics, I mean that that was really just that what that game was the mechanic. Yes, that was the whole thing. It wasn't like they took mechanics from a lot of different things and just added this little piece, like say with Puerto Rico, where it just really the big innovation with Puerto Rico was the role selection, which was an important part of the game. But mm -hmm. there was a lot of other aspects of it too, in terms of you know the plant grabbing the plantations and and the the buildings with the special powers and stuff like that. Whereas Dominion was a lot pure that that was the mechanic. So I think people wanted to take that in different directions and and dominion itself had kind of done that pure euro thing yeah another another big mechanic of course we have el grande with area majority that that's been evolving over a number of years what was el grande 95 96 uh yeah probably something like Some, that something like that mid 90s the last 15 years we we still see incarnations i think one of the latest most popular ones is uh the chaos in the old world sort of took that and, and sort of added some battle systems to it and added a lot of different thematic concepts and and really sort of took that area majority and, and took it to a whole new place well i think the the thing that you really see is that these these techniques become part of the the toolkit of the game designer 
Mm-hmm. And and that's why I think, you know, when you're designing a game that it's important to play a lot of games. I mean, they talk about people that, you know, if you're writing a book, you know, you should if you want to be a writer, you need to do a lot of reading. Right. You know, I think if you want to be a game designer, you need to do a lot of playing of, of different games. And, and I, I don't see it. You know, we talked about like how dominant species that you can definitely trace it back to Age of Empires 3 and, and Tyranno X as its predecessors. But I don't think that that diminishes the game at all. And I don't I don't see that as, you know, as a knock on the designer of that game. Right. I think that it's very important that, you know, designers kind of build on what's out there and, you know, borrow and you see it in music, you see it in all kinds of different uh, different artistic areas of the mashup is the big thing now of, you, you know, you pull different pieces in from here and there. And I was kind of reminded as I was, you know, kind of thinking about this that I, I had heard an interview years ago with, um, uh, with Reiner Knizia and he, you know, obviously pioneered a lot of mechanics and, and a whole approach to games. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, in this interview, he said specifically he doesn't play games from other designers. I can't believe he's that. working on his games. <laughs> and that's that's what he said. He said he focuses on his games and he doesn't really play other stuff. And to a certain extent, I think that you kind of almost see that in his designs. I mean, True. you know, his he has. I'm not going to say fallen off the radar, but I think that that his stuff has become a little bit more marginalized because I don't see a lot of evolution in in his own designs. He, you know, you see a Knizia game; it's sort of a Knizia game. I think he's kind of in a little box of his own way of thinking about game design. So I think it's important to try to pull in some of these other mechanics and 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 use that to uh, to inform your new designs going forward. And when we look at uh, Ganitzia designs, a lot of them sort of, if they build on anything, they sort of just build on each other. You see uh, Ganitzia games that take parts of other Ganitzia games, you know, that that right. he's sort of in his own, like you say, he's in his own box, he's building on some of his own ideas, but isn't, I mean, there's so much output out there, it seems almost ridiculous not to take advantage of, of seeing what other people are doing. One thing that really drives me nuts, I mean, I'm sure you've probably had this experience. You play a new game that comes out, you know, maybe it's a mass market game or whatever. The, the person who designed this game has only seen mechanics like roll and move and hasn't played a game for the last 20 years. I mean, I know you've played games like that and you're like, yeah, really, I'm, I'm landing on a space and drawing a card. Have you played a game in the last 20 years? There's so much great game, so many great games out there. How could you design a game? This game seems like it's from 1984. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, it's just, you know, uh, y- you see that all the time and you see it especially, you know, when, uh, you know, people are coming out with games on specific themes, you know, like people come out with a game about military history or whatever it is, you know, and they'll just, they know Trivial Pursuit and that's all that they know and they go from there. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. There's, uh, you know, if you really want to, you know, design games, you got to, I, I believe that you've got to play a lot. Uh, you got to look at a lot of a lot of different types of games from a lot of different types of of genres. Um, you know, even from you know the world of war games, which is a very specialized world. There was a you know a, a whole movement starting with I don't even remember when it came out, but with uh, uh, We the People, uh, game of the American Revolution that introduced the concept of the card driven game, um, where instead of you know, having a zillion different numbers on everything. There was a deck of cards that drove the action. And that really also kind of sparked a renaissance where that put its foot in the door and that went in a zillion different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually culminating with something like uh, Twilight Struggle, um, which probably most of the of the listeners are familiar with, even sure. if they're not with in the war game area. Um, and that's, you know, once again, is sort of a crossover. Then 
between the the war game area and the euro game area and you know people have to be aware of all of these different genres and pulling them together and twilight struggle is starting to branch off into different incarnations with campaign manager and and that sort of thing with all these uh, game mechanics just sort of building on each other is that is there still a lot of dis- design space left in the board game are we are we running out of game mechanics is that even possible I, I don't think that that's possible. You don't think I, so? I think, that, I, I think that there's stuff in there. I mean, you know, I mean, two years ago, everyone would have said, well, we've, you know, we pretty much reached, you know, the end and, and every, you know, this, maybe there's area majority and this and that and everything's a tweak. And then, you know, two, it was just two years ago that you get the Dominion mechanic, which has all of a sudden pushed people in different ways. I, I, I think that there's always going to be something out there. You always read these essays where people say it's the end of history or in the late 1800s, uh, the scientists all said, you know, now with Maxwell's equations, we have learned everything that we need to know about science. So I, I, I think that there's always going to be uh, different areas to do. Even with new technology, I mean, there's a whole area of bringing in, you know, little electronics or, you know, iPods and, you know, all, all the other stuff, uh, bringing that into the board game sure. world. That, that's a whole fertile area that I think hasn't even begun to be looked at yet. Well, we think about these games that are building upon other games. Do you, do you believe that some of these games obsolete previous games? I think it's in certain cases, certain cases it does. But what is your take on that as far as do some of these games reach obsolescence? And when we have some of these just newer, better games, if I look at the top 100, for example, we have... About 80 of the top 100 games are from the last 10 years. Is that because games are really getting just better? You think games now are just better than they were 10 years ago? I think that there's there's a certain level of that, but I think that uh, I, I think that a lot of it is just kind of the latest thing that's out the door. Uh, I think people tend to like, you know, you always get the new game that shoots up to, you know, uh, very high on the top 100 and then starts to kind of trail off after a while. You know, I, I saw like this year that Dominant Species was one of your top 50 games yep. of all time. I, I'm curious to see, you know, two or three years down the road if you still agree with that. I mean, I, yeah. I think that there's a natural human thing to kind of really, you know, because that's the game you're playing. So that's the game you like. Um, but I think there's a lot of older stuff out there that that people could bring in. But getting back to your original question, I, I do believe that there are newer games that do kind of obsolete older games. I, I think that there are refinements and, and and newer versions that bring it in. And, you know, that's that's inevitable. I mean, you even see it within individual designers, which I always think is interesting. I mean, we talked about like with Knizzi exploring his games. I mean, you can even look at, um, you know, like Alan Moon had a whole series of games that were really almost like newer versions of the same game. You know, you had um, his uh, original game Airlines mm-hmm. yes. from 1990, uh, which then kind of evolved into uh, Union Pacific, and then, which which in many ways kind of, quote unquote, obsoleted airlines, even though I know they're looking at redoing it, but that, you know, which was like nine years later. And in between there, there was a game Freight Train, which was very similar also. Right. Um, and then you had, uh, then a card game version came out as well, uh, Get the Goods, which I actually think predated Union Pacific. That was in, in the mid 90s. Okay. Um, so it's interesting to look at the same designers even and kind of exploring that same space with, with, um, with minor variations. Right. I think of an example, El Grande to me. There's so many different variations. Some some of them have been improvements, like even even Dominant Species or or Age of Empires. I I just don't really want to play El Grande anymore. I I respect what it did. I mean, it really changed and opened up a lot of uh, opened up a lot of designs. But 
I I just don't. I would rather play a lot of other games rather than El Grande. I think that's the case in a lot. There's been a lot of streamlining. There there definitely have been improvements in the mechanics um, uh, for a lot of these games. So uh, yeah, I, I I feel the same way about some games, and unfortunately, that's why my collection <laughs> has grown. Keeps growing. Because I just I I can't bear to part with some of these older games. I'm saying like you know I I could never not have El Grande, but it's you know, true. Time, like I said, I've played it like once in the last three years. So yeah, and uh, I I brought it out. Uh, like last year and I was playing it and then I just thought, you know what, there's a lot of other games I'd rather be playing right now. But then you have the opposite case, something like Acquire. Um, you know, people have tried to redo Acquire, done lots of variations of Acquire, but Acquire is is fantastic just the way it is. I, I don't think you can, I mean, you can use elements of Acquire, but I think it's hard to improve upon Acquire. I think also just because of the purity of that design. Yeah. There's there's so little excess that's hanging off of it that it's really kind of pared down to the core of it. So, yeah, I, I agree. Acquire is, is one that's always going to be around. So let's talk about the Ares project. Did you bring in some previous mechanics, uh, mechanics from a lot of other games that you had seen and evolved those sort of in your own design? Yeah, we were definitely influenced by a lot of other stuff. I mean, it, it was... For us, it was we kind of went from a um, mechanic standpoint, uh, not from from mechanic standpoint. Second, we started with the theme, uh, which was the uh, computer real time strategy games like uh, uh, Total Annihilation and Warcraft, and actually the original Age of Empires uh, computer game was a real time strategy game, and Starcraft, kind of the granddaddy of them all. Sure. And we wanted to bring those elements into a board game. And, you know, the Age of Empires 3 board game and the StarCraft board game, while good games and we enjoy playing them, really didn't have that same feel. So we wanted to, uh, you know, so we kind of had a very specific list of items that we were trying to um, to bring in. So, you know, some of, we, we definitely look to the games that we enjoy playing. Like one of the, the games that I feel did an excellent job of bringing a computer game mentality to a board game is Through the Ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, which really pulled a lot of elements out of the Sid Meier Civilization computer game. But the, the kind of the key thing that, that that brought in is it was everything was kind of based on cards, uh, you know, with tokens manipulated on the cards to represent people, to represent resources and things like that. And then also that they, uh, in Through the Ages, they, it jettisoned the map. Right. Uh, obviously, when a computer game, the map is a critical part of what it is. But I, I thought it was a very bold design move to to get rid of the map in, in Through the Ages. And one of the real innovations in that game and just, you know, focus on the development of your civilization and still have interaction but on a more abstracted base. So in the Ares project, we kind of brought in a similar idea. Uh, you know, we kind of hit a, early on that we really wanted it to be kind of card-based. Uh, we looked at, you know, uh, and then we were talking about having a map and did we want to have a big map but then how's it going to vary from game to game? How are you going to keep it hidden? Because we really wanted um, that element of surprise that you see in the computer games to be preserved. Um, so very quickly, we, we also decided, hey, let's, let's get rid of the map and let's just have a, a very abstract representation of a map that sure. each, each person has their own base. And then there's just this area in the middle of the table that, that people are fighting over that's just you know, one big area. So you know, that, was, that was a big thing that we, that we pulled in. And then the other element was just kind of the multiple uses of the same card. We wanted each card to to have a bunch of different things that you could do with it, which I, I there's, there's a zillion different games that do that, but certainly right. <laughs> we wanted to do that and as well as have the ability to play cards even face down, uh, which is what we use to represent resources, which is sort of similar to Race of the Galaxy, but but we're doing it in a, 
uh, a different sort of way because you actually play him out of your hand. So uh, whereas in Race for the Galaxy, you just pull him off the deck and just put him face down on planets to represent the resource. Uh, we, we have you play them out of your hand, so you're losing the ability to, to have the normal ability of that card for, in exchange for being able to build up your units and, and your army. So you have to make a choice of how to use those resources. When you're talking about bringing in these other computer games, I mean, that, that almost is a different evolution in itself is taking mechanics within a computer game and bringing that to a board game. Were you able to take any, any of the mechanics that are used in the computer game and translate that into a board game? I know that um, you talked about Through the Ages, Sid Meier's Civilization, the new one, sort of really took that feel. It took sort of the feel of the computer game and translated that pretty well into board game mechanics as well. Yeah, well, the tricky part is always not what to do, but what not to do. Sure. Um, like I said, through the ages, left out the map. Um, yeah. You know, and we also, you know, we, we left out the map, but we wanted to keep the the specific interaction between the units. We wanted to have certain units to be better against what your opponent was building. Um, so you really got to kind of cut down to the core of what you're trying to preserve. And for us, it was we wanted to include the hidden, uh, the hidden build nature of it, where you couldn't see what your opponent was doing. We wanted to add um, the reaction. So once you do see what he's doing, you may want to try to change what you're building in the future. If he's building a lot of air units, then you might build a lot of anti-air units. Um, and also, uh, we wanted to keep the um, the feel of upgrading your technologies and being able to add special abilities. Uh, so we pulled all those things together. Um, I, I think really the biggest innovation that we had, uh, and, and I, I do think that it really, you can see traces of other things, but I think I think it is different than what a lot of other games are doing, is um, in our combat system, you know, there's, there's really two phases to Ares. One is um, uh, where you're doing construction and building up your, your base and your forces, and that's all done behind a screen. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, you're going to launch an attack or get attacked. And at that point, both players drop their screens and, and convert all their cards and everything into their units and then have a little battle right. uh, in the middle of the table. So we wanted that that battle part to be have a have a real you know more epic feel and and uh, have some tactical skill involved to really use your units and use all the special abilities that you have. So, mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, we didn't have a map. We 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 wanted to keep it um, kind of simple. So we developed a system. This is what we call the battle line system, where you line up your forces uh, and and uh, kind of have an abstracted uh, map uh, so that. The placement of the forces and who they're opposite uh, really makes a difference, and you can shoot at forces that are further away in the line, but you're going to do so at a penalty. Um, so we were pretty pleased with that, and that underwent a huge number of changes. And then, um, now how uh, did the you other how did you get that idea for for setting up that battle line mechanic in the way that you did? Was that evolved from other games that you had played, or is that just uh, was that just a unique idea? You know, I hesitate that, to say that it was just a unique idea, I, I, but I can't think of kind of where it came from. But probably in the back of my mind, some of there was something. I mean, there certainly is the game called Battle Line. Uh, <laughs> so but that doesn't, have, that, that doesn't play any... It doesn't play in a similar way like that. Not, but not, yeah, I mean, well, no. originally the way the system was is each card was kind of off on its own. You picked a card and you picked an opponent card and you just put them together. There was no line. Yeah. Um, and just in the process of playtesting, there were certain problems that came up because of that. You know, we, we worked on this game on and off for over three years. So just over time, just from playtesting and trying different things, we just kind of hit on this system. You know, I, I, I don't think that it was specifically sprang from a place. It was just developed to solve a problem. Uh, and, you know, getting back to the mechanics, I think that that's, 
you, you talk about evolution mechanics and branding mechanics and stuff like that. I, I'd be curious to, I, I haven't really read anything about like say Dominion or, or where those came from, but I, I know like the mechanics that I feel were kind of new. We specifically developed them to fill a certain thematic requirement that we kind of had for the game. Uh, you know, we started with a, a very strong theme and we said, how do we want to make this work? How are we going to get this going? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we looked to try to develop a mechanic that would fit that. I, I would guess that it would be very difficult to just sit down as a game designer and say, I, I want to develop a unique mechanic. True. Very and true. And just come up with something. I, I think it's a lot easier to say, okay, I want this game to be about this and I, I want the players to feel like this. How am I going to get there? And then you can develop something that kind of bridges the gap. And when we think about going back to dominant species, we talk about, okay, is it is it an original game design? Well, what did the designer do? Was he created he created the idea, the thematic idea of what he was looking for, and then he built on all of his mechanics, all the mechanics that he had, and used those to, to fill the areas of need that he had. All right, I want these animals to be struggling on this landscape. You know, what mechanics can I use for that? I want players to take different actions. What mechanics can I use for that? And combining and building upon all of that game experience is how we create, you know, some of these great new games that we have. Uh, and I think that that is really important from the society of game players is that what it develops because so many of these games um, you know, borrow and, and combine things in different ways is it develops a shared vocabulary of the game mechanics. You know, True. when I sit down to play a game or if I look at a new game, you know, I can say, okay, this is, is kind of like this game, this is kind of like this game and it, it, and it gives you an immediate uh, innate understanding of what's uh, you know what's going to go on and what the game is going to be like, and you know initially maybe what strategies might work that you tried in some different games. Um, and I think when people knew coming into the hobby, that's when you know sometimes we take somebody that has never played any of these games at all, like uh, you know like uh, Settlers of Catan or Puerto Rico or El Grande, and you sit them down and their only experience is Monopoly, and and you forget sometimes. And I know you, so you try to bridge that gap. Uh, with your podcast of, you know, how do you teach somebody to, that doesn't have any of this background, that those of us that have been, you know, playing these games for, for 10, 20, 30 years, dare I, dare I remember how far back it goes, that we have this kind of shared language that, that, that these shortcuts, these mental shortcuts that go, where sure. somebody that's first sitting down, you got to get them over the hurdles to, you know, to get to that point. Yeah, you talk. I've talked before about schemas, and we're sort of building schemas. If I'm sitting down with someone and playing dominant species who's never played a worker placement game, there's so much more going on in that game. I would definitely want them to have an understanding of what worker placement is and some of the basic strategies of worker placement um, before you launching into that, because these games are they're getting so complex and they're they're building and building on top of each other. And if we could take that to the extreme, I think sometimes the only fault of that is sometimes we get to the sake of making things more complicated than they need to be. We get, you know, have you played some of these games where they just feel like there's just too many mechanics thrown in there? You had a great point earlier when you, when you said that sometimes the, the hardest thing of being a good game designer is knowing what to take out and, and keeping it as, as tight as possible. And, and sometimes we just have these games that just have too much in them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's what happened a lot with it. I, I used to play a lot of war games. I mean, that's really what happened to the to the war game field, that it kind of collapsed under its own weight. 
You know, I mean, you had, once again, a shared vocabulary like zone of controls and CRTs and all of these other things that all of the games used. Because of the complexity, they really had to lean on that. But eventually, because they built and built and built, it got to a point where a new player was very, very difficult for them to get into it. Is the guys that have been playing for 10 years could buy a game, but a new game could come out and your each successive release limited your market more and more. So, Is that a danger you think that we, we should have to worry about with Euro games? I think Dominant Species and some of these other games show uh, Shipyard is another one that shows a trend of, you know, Shipyard's got like 84 rondelles on the board and, you know, it just has so many mechanics. Is this a problem, do you think, down the road for Euro games? <laughs> I I think it's a it's a potential problem. Yeah. I, I think Euro games will will tend will, it'd be a little easier for them to avoid the trap because it's uh you know one of the goals is certainly to you know keep the play time a little bit shorter, but yeah I mean something like uh, you know dominant species there there's a lot of subtlety in there and you know I'm sure you, you talked about just we had a couple of our players that were confused about the difference between having the most cubes in a space versus being dominant in a space versus, mm -hmm. you know, knowing when you're on the verge of going extinct. It's, it's, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on. And, you know, uh, I, I think the new Sid Meier civilization game from FFG is it's, it's a, it's a great game and we had a fun time playing it. Uh, but you know, once again, to, to get a, you know, a beginner to sit down at the table or somebody that just likes a computer game and just wanders into Toys R Us or whatever and picks that game up off the shelf. That's going to be a tough game for them to, you know, to sit down and really play and understand for the first time. I think that's a great example. There's so much to that game, so many different mechanics thrown in there. Especially you, you sit down and you have to plan out what you're going to do with your tech tree in your first game. And you have no idea, you know, you're just trying to figure out how to move your pieces and how combat works. I don't know which of these six techs <laughs> to pick. You know, there's so many decisions to make in that game. Yep. So let's let's try to wrap this up here and thinking we're talking about the future a little bit. Where do you see us heading? What do you think, you know, 10 years, I think we look back 10 years ago where we were in games and where we are now. It's amazing the number of mechanics and, and the different sorts of games and the different mechanics that we have. Where do you see us in, in 2020? What do you think games will look like, Jeff? Give us your predictions. <laughs> uh, well, um, Aries Project will be the number one game on board game, <laughs> yeah, right? right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's it's really really tough to say. I mean, I I, I think that uh, you know I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what comes out. I I, I think that there's going to be a lot of new things coming out. It's difficult to to forecast innovation uh, in terms of what's going to be the new thing. Um, but I I really believe that although you know, maybe it's going to change the economics of it somewhat. I, I really think that the, you know, 10 years from now, the hybrid between, uh, you know, the board game and, and the computer game are really going to start coming together. Yeah. You know, I've, I've messed around a lot with like the Microsoft Surface tables mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you can all, and I, I've, some of you that have been to uh, Gen Con and, and Origins and places like that may have seen like the, the Settlers of Catan demo that they have on the Microsoft Surface where you can just sit there and, the, the the table reconfigures itself and you just put your little pieces on top of the table and it recognizes them and you can lay your cards down and you know you have a little shield that you can move around to protect the cards that you have and I, I think that uh, a you know reconfiguring boards or being able to you know get little you know download packs of extra cards and stuff like that um, I think that's going to be a real fertile area of development. Now, that's obviously going to need a lot of infrastructure and, you know, you're not going to be able to just go to the store and buy a, you know, $10 game, $20 game. So I think there's always going to be a, a place for that as well. 
in terms of the board games. Uh, but I think a lot of, you know, I, I think we're going to continue to see evolution. We're going to continue to see uh, new mechanics and new ideas brought in. And, and I bet you that there's some old ideas from the 50s and 60s that have not been mined. I think if we go back and start looking at some of the, the, the older games that there's, uh, that there's stuff. I was just reading um, when I was – I talked earlier about airlines and Union Pacific. I mean Union Pacific had the, the, the variable ending mechanic. That there's a card in the deck, and when right. that scoring card comes up, that's when you get points. Yeah. And uh, I was reading an interview with Alan Moon, and he said he he pulled that mechanic in 1990. 1990 he pulled that mechanic from a, an old Parker Brothers game called Summit from oh, 1961. Geez. And and as far as he knew, that was that was the first place it was used. And you know he remembered it from when he had played that back then. So I I think there's a lot of stuff in the past that that that's going to go and and make the future even better. Well, I can't wait to see you know what. What we end up with, you know, ten years from now, you talk about the the surface and whether that will emerge as sort of a gaming tool. I don't know that that could be like the jetpacks of you know fifty years ago. They keep telling us we're <laughs> going to get jetpacks. We still don't have jetpacks, but who knows? We might we might be playing all sorts of board games on on electronic surfaces. I also look forward to see what survives. What do we, you know, which of these games that we talk about and love so much, which ones are still played ten years from now? I think that that that's going to be really interesting to see as well. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, Jeff. Um, I know that we'll really look forward to Aries Project hitting the shelves. When when are you anticipating us seeing that in stores? Uh, well, we are just uh, just about finishing up the uh, the artwork uh, at this point. So uh, hopefully uh, by uh, April or May, uh, uh, Z-Man has uh, has told us that that it should definitely be out for Argents. So I I will be out at Argents with my son, and uh, hopefully we'll get to uh, to demo it there. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to that, and we'll look forward to more of your fantastic game tech segments. I know I always look forward to hearing those on the Dice Tower, unless, of course, you want to defect over to the How to Play podcast. We'll be happy to have uh, you. Happy uh, to have you anytime. I'm not going to get into the middle of the uh, Sturm Vassal <laughs> feud at this point, so well, I'll want, leave that to you guys. I want to thank you one more time for being on the show, and uh, and I wish you the best of luck with your upcoming game. Thanks a lot, Ryan. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. That was my conversation with Jeff Engelstein about the evolution of board game mechanics. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, and and let me know what you thought. Let me know if you'd like to see future conversations with either Jeff or with other members of our board game community. And when Ares Project comes out later this year, I recommend that you take a look at it and see if it's something you might like to purchase. Though I haven't played it yet, and I had a chance to get a sneak peek at the rules, and the game looks very exciting, and I look forward to giving it a try. Hopefully you will too. And that wraps up this special musing edition of How to Play. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and keep being an active member of our How to Play community. If you haven't yet, please go over and join the guild. If you don't know what a guild is, send me an email and I'll send you a link to the guild. I'll be back in a few short weeks with another great game. Until then, I hope you'll play a lot of great games. This has been Ryan Sturm from the How to Play podcast. One, two, three, four... This has been Ryan Stern for the How to Play podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Stern. How to Play is a one-man, independent podcast not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. 
If you like How to Play Podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums at BoardGameGeek, and even just thumb announcements of new episodes. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own. And that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek, or I can be emailed at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. This podcast's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. <laughs>